0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18. My message today is entitled, The Message of the Cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are on the way to destruction. But to us who are on the way to salvation, it is God's power. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the disputant of this day? Has not God made the world's wisdom folly? For since by God's wise plan, the world, exercising its own wisdom, did not know God. God chose to save those who had faith, By the folly of Christian preaching. Since Jews ask for a sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a scandal, to the Gentiles folly, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, God's power, and God's wisdom. The message this morning is um, very, very straightforward. The message of the cross is for each and every one of us. We can't be a Christian until we know it, till we understand it, till we appropriate it in our daily walk. I know that uh, it takes us a while to become believers. You don't become a Christian in 30 seconds. There has to be some word from a grandparent, a parent, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, whoever it might be. There has to be some association with with those things that are spiritual in our family, in our neighborhood, at our church, when the beautiful decorations of Christmas are up. There has to be something that matures us along the way so that we then can give our hearts and our lives and our destiny to the Lord Jesus. You can never know Christ apart from the cross. It's central. It's focal. It's the most important uh, with the resurrection. Of all the things that happen in Scripture, we base our ministry on this fact. Our Bible study teachers base their ministry on this fact. The preachers base their ministry on this fact. It is pivotal. It is the very heart of, of all that we believe and all we preach. The gospel is simply a message of Christ crucified. Its effect is twofold. It is foolishness to those that are on the way to destruction. But to those who are on the way to salvation, it is God's power. This pictures salvation as an act of, a pilgrimage, a thing that is ongoing as we come to claim Christ as our Lord. Neither process can be thought of as complete in just a short period of time with just tangential knowledge of of the things that would come to pass. There are those that are on their way to destruction. They find the gospel foolishness. I've been pastoring uh, for a long, long time, 54 years. I have uh, talked to hundreds and hundreds of people about trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And some people uh, come up with uh, different responses. Some would say, what does a man on the cross over 2,000 years ago have to do with me today? There are those that uh, are in our schools that understand that there is great pressure on them to take the cross, to take the resurrection, to take Jesus totally out of the school situation. Stop prayer. Don't let the coaches pray at football games anymore. Stop prayer. Stop pictures. Stop giving out uh, Bibles to the students. Stop all of that because we don't want our worldly views to conflict with that which is pure and holy. We don't want to be caught in a vice where the higher echelon and morals and and beliefs of Christians against our worldly views and morals. The world knows that they are far from the Lord. They they know that. You know, we've uh, communicated that to, to that degree at least. The Gideons, as you know, perhaps now are having a real problem with many of the hotels and motels. Uh, They're not letting them put the Bibles in there anymore. Because once again, they don't want the glaring disparity of those that are moral, that those that are believing uh, compared to those that are ungodly and immoral. So uh, that's uh, what they want to get rid of, the comparison. You know, our statues are being taken apart. Don't want any statues up that have any religious significance because, once again, there'll be a comparison. And those of the world and those who live like they are of the world, they don't want that comparison. Even in our libraries today, they're taking out uh, anything that smacks of Jesus, anything that tells the story of the gospel. I doubt that uh, many of the libraries have a cross anywhere in the room, anywhere in the whole library, because there is pressure from a secularistic society. We want to get rid of that. We don't want that to be hanging over our heads. We don't want that to craft our thought process. Well, I hope that uh, you realize that it wasn't just a man that was crucified on a cross over 2,000 years ago. It was a very unique man. It was a man who was the Son of God. He didn't have any sisters. He didn't have any brothers. It was one man. And he was crucified on a cross as the Son of God. The only one that's ever been like that. And so people get interested in that. They say, Well, why do those Christians say that? And so they read a little bit and they can't believe what they're reading because they don't hear it in the marketplace of life. And then they learn, Well, not only was he the only son of God, but he wasn't dying for his own sins, he was dying for our sins. What a man! You know, what a great thing to do. He's dying for our sins, all the things that we've done wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He was sinless. And when they find that out, they take another step toward the the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Well, uh, our sin, of course, is dealt with at the cross. All the sins in your life up to this point and all the sins from this point until the very moment that you die. All of those sins Jesus died for. You say, well, pastor, we really owe him something, don't we? Yeah, we do. We owe him everything. Because we would never see the, the glory of heaven without a knowledge of that event. A knowledge of what he did for each and for every one of us. Look at verse 19. Paul has the Old Testament on his side here as he's writing this epistle to the Corinthians. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. This quotation is from Isaiah 29, 14. You know, there are a lot of professors across America that have uh, doctor's degrees that are teaching in seminaries and in schools and uh, teaching in colleges. You know, all of the universities across the country have uh, a class in religion, and most of those professors are not believers. They have a lot of knowledge in their head, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. It's amazing uh, that that's true, but that's true. We have a lot of pastors across this land that don't preach the whole gospel. They just preach the part that they like. They just preach the part that they agree with. They just preach the part that goes along with their secular ideas, with their secular lifestyle. And if it... uh, rubs against that they they don't want that they don't want to hear that they don't want to see that they don't want any part of that well I don't know if if you've ever read this anywhere but the Pharisees were really bright people uh, you couldn't be a dummy and be a Pharisee you had to be pretty sharp and you had to do something that seems to us to be unbelievable uh, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament the Pentateuch they memorized those five books. Have you ever tried to memorize a whole page of something? You know, that's really hard to do. I mean, really. Uh, particularly, you know, as we get older, it's harder for us to to memorize things. Well, the Pharisees didn't fool around about it. They learned, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. They wanted to cast the light across the land, that they were the most religious, the most spiritual, the most knowledgeable, the brightest, the sharpest of anybody in the land. And, of course, the people didn't know any better, so they thought, well, I guess they are. And then Jesus happened on the scene. And every time they argued with him, they lost these real smart people, they lost. And Jesus uh, would meet them again and again, a lot of places in Scripture, where they come up, they think, "Well, we're going to get him this time, we're going to trick him this time. And every time he puts them down, every time he sets them straight. It's unbelievable. Well, uh, It's evident that the wisdom spoken of here in verse 19 is the wisdom of this world. It's not the wisdom of God. It's not the wisdom of Scripture. It's not the wisdom of the Holy Spirit working in and about our heart and soul. All those Pharisees were lost. They weren't Christians. They hated Christ. When they realized they couldn't win any of those debates, they quit debating, and they just started making plans to kill him. You know, that's another way to deal with it. We'll just kill him. And that's exactly what they did. You know, you can be uh, very, very knowledgeable. In fact, you can know everything about computers and still be lost. Did you know that? Uh, You know, I don't know hardly anything about computers. I can't fix them. I can't straighten them out. I can't punch the right button. I don't know where it is. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm, I'm very, very inadequate with computers. But it does kind of irritate me that people that are experts, that are real, real sharp with computers, they think that that intelligence kind of carries over into all these other fields because they're brilliant, because they know all about computers, that they know all about everything. I pastored a church in Fayetteville, Georgia for a number of years, and it was uh, just south of the airport. And so guess who I had as members of that church? Many of the Delta pilots that flew the big uh, planes. And I don't know if you know any pilots that fly the great big uh, planes, but they're used to everybody hopping when they say hop. You know, if the pilot tells the lady that's walking up and down the aisle there to open the door in the middle of the flight, she'd open the door because they are trained over and over and over and over again to do exactly what the pilot says immediately. If there's any back talk, you're fired on the spot. You're fired. If there's any comment about, well, you know, it would be better to do it this way, you're fired. The pilots have the last say about everything. They're in charge. Well, I pastored a church of them, and it was very interesting. Uh, They all thought that whatever they said at church, everybody ought to jump. And I told this one guy who was particularly obnoxious, I said, uh, You know, it doesn't work that way. We vote on things. He says, who's in charge here? I never will forget that. He said it real loud. Who's in charge here? You know, as if to say, you know, if I'm not in charge, I ought to be. You know, there's a lot of people that think because they know a lot about something, they know a lot about everything. That's what the Pharisees thought. But they came to find out that uh, they didn't. Know a whole lot about everything. They didn't know anything about Jesus other than that he was an irritant uh, to them. Look at verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the despot, the despotant or the debater, the great debater of this age? God has made the world's wisdom folly, folly. You know, those that don't believe in the virgin birth, those that don't believe in the raising of Lazarus, uh, wisdom, in their case, is not synonymous with godliness. They might know a lot of things. They might be great debaters. But they don't have the wisdom of our Lord. Some don't know the messianic secret. But they know the messiah. Some people across America are in that group. first church I pastored was in a little country town outside of Waco, Texas. We had a lot of people in that church that were spiritual giants. I mean giants. Many of them hadn't finished the sixth grade. But they knew more about the Lord than I did. That was immediately obvious. I had four years of learning from those people. They were close with Jesus. You know, it's it's so important that we we get the knowledge that's spoken of here. Uh, You know, the, the scripture here says that they were moving toward, moving toward on the way to destruction, on the way to salvation. There was a process. And that's where we are. That's where everybody is. We're either in total uh, ignorance of the cross, of the Christ, of the resurrection, of the scripture, of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're either in total ignorance of those things or we're somewhere along the way. We're moving in the direction of understanding and believing and committing our heart and life to Christ. You know, all the scholars in the world thought for many, many years that the earth was flat. And if you didn't think it was flat, they'd put you in jail. If you started talking about that, they would torture you. You were a heretic. And all the wise folks said, it's flat. It's always been flat, always will be flat. Nothing we can do about that. If you're a historian, you've read about this. And, of course, when the very first guys came and said, no, it's not flat, they put him in jail. You know, about uh, 75 years ago, in most of the little communities across America, the sharpest guy in town was the doctor, the medical doctor. He was the sharpest guy in town, and everybody knew that, and they would go to him for counseling and They would go to him for this and for that. And really, of course, it was life and death uh, message sometime because of someone that was ill, and they trusted the doctor because he was the doctor. He was the sharpest guy in town. Well, if you take a medical book from 75, 85, 90 years ago and start reading it, I've read a lot of articles about this. It's really interesting to read. They all say the same thing. They say that 95% of the stuff that's in those books is wrong. It's wrong. 95% of it. Well, where where is the wisdom? Where is the wise man, verse 20? Where is the scholar? Where is the best debater of this age? Has God not made the world's wisdom folly? Folly. Folly. Now, that's a very important point. God has now acted so as to expose what the world considers wisdom as the folly it truly is. And so to put to flight the arrogant and self-assertive wise man, the scholars and the disputants, uh, there is the message of the cross. That's where the real wisdom of this world is. The new age and the new world, which are under God's immediate authority, will see the end of man-centered wisdom. There will just be one point of view when that occurs, and that point of view will be 100% correct, and that point of view will be God's point of view, and all of us will know that. Everybody will know that. God's word will be obeyed immediately and forever. Well, look at verse 21. For since by God's wise plan, the world exercising its own wisdom did not know God. God chose to save those who had not wisdom but faith, not by their own wisdom but by the folly of Christian preaching. You know, we we learn important things when we come to church. We really do. When we go to Bible study, the teacher has about 30, 35 minutes to teach, and they've studied, they've prepared their lesson, and they want to make some main points, and they try and emphasize those. And as you go, as you join yourself to that kind of a class over a long period of time, you become a, a very knowledgeable person about the things of God, the things that are really going to matter in eternity, the things that are really going to matter as you're on your way to salvation. You know, we, we learn from the Bible, from Christian preaching teaching. We learn the answer to important questions. Have people gotten you aside and asked you the main questions of life? I'm sure they have. Every father has to give some answers to some of those kind of questions to the children. Every mother has to give those kind of answers to questions that are asked. There was a little girl named Susie. She came up to her mother one day and she said, Mom... Where do people come from? And the mother thought her daughter was a bit too young to learn all about the facts of life. So she answered. She took uh, her quote from the Bible. Uh, It said that God made people from the dust of the earth. Several weeks later, Susie came up and said, Mom, Mom, what happens to people when they die? And the mother thought, you know... I don't want to go into all about death and the pain and issues related to that and how everybody has died and what a horrible thing it was. So she gave a biblical answer. She said, the Bible says that they return to dust. About a week later, Susie came running down the stairs. She said, Mom, Mom, come upstairs. Come upstairs, quick, quick. Mother says, "What's going on?" And little Susie said, "There's somebody either coming or going under my bed." <laughs> you know, we, we learn some good answers in church, some answers that are important. We learn what uh, Jeremiah 29:11 says, "I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord." Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans that give you hope and a future. Now that's the wisdom that we need. God didn't come to whack us in the head with a hammer. He came that we might prosper, that we might have hope and a future. And he wants that for every single person that's in this room. He doesn't want you to go through the pain and travail of the results of sin in your life. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to have a wonderful, wonderful life. He wants to bless you beyond whatever you can conceive. And then when you go to glory, it says our minds can't even comprehend the glory and the the wonderfulness of, of heaven. We can't even conceive of it. Cindy and I are praying that our dog that died will be there. We loved our dog. and We really want Lady to be there. You know, think of all the things that you've thought of in your life. They're going to be there for you. The main thing that's going to be there is the crucified Christ that loves you, that died for you, that gave his all for you during his life here during these years in glory. Many times I have someone say to me as they're walking out, you know, I'm thinking about trusting in Christ. And I always uh, think to myself, well, you should have come forward when I gave the invitation. (laughs) That's what it's about. People, uh, as they're leaving, many times say, you know, I think I'm going to join the church. And I want to say, you know, you had an opportunity about five minutes ago. Today, if you have a decision that would honor Christ, it would honor his church, it would honor his word, it would honor his spirit, let today be the day when you take a stand for him. Do it now. Don't say, you know, I'm going to do it someday. Do it today. Do it today. Take a stand for him who died for you. I'll be standing down here at the front waiting on you to come. Let's stand together as we sing.